This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme, while today's weather forecast still single digits temperature wise, six uh, to nine degrees, and there will be some hazy sunshine, but with some rain expected later on uh, today. But of course, from tonight and as we head into the next few days of this week, temperatures are set to plummet. They could go as low as minus four degrees in uh, some areas. And that Aaron is saying that the country is set for a late blast of winter. A status yellow ice warning. Now, this is for the entire country country will come into force at six o'clock this evening and it will remain in place until 10 o'clock tomorrow morning as bitterly cold Arctic airflow is pushing down from the north. As we heard Barry on the news uh, this morning, motorists and pedestrians have been warned to expect hazardous conditions tomorrow on the roads and on the footpaths due to this freezing temperature and uh, ice. Now, some of it will be accompanied by snow, but what Matt Aaron are saying at the moment is that the snow is expected to affect the northern half of the country so it looks like we'll be okay here in the south but that doesn't mean that it isn't going to be cold it is going to be bitterly cold and over the next few days and the next few nights uh, temperatures are going to be very low minus three minus four uh, degrees and the cold temperatures are certainly going to continue until Wednesday Wednesday night's temperatures will certainly fall below uh, freezing and then there's still some uncertainty around the four Forecast for the back end of this uh, week. Uh, what they're saying at the moment, it's looking like that when the cold front clears midweek, we can expect it to turn wet, but certainly cold up to and including Wednesday at night. But can we, we can take some comfort from the fact that our conditions are not going to be as bad as they are in the UK. The U- UK is to expect much more severe weather. They're having their forecasting snowstorms for most of the UK and temperatures there could go as low as minus 15 uh, degrees but it certainly is going to be a bitterly few bitterly cold few days wrap up and stay safe 0818 103 103 now last week while we were discussing the open letter from the chief medical officer asking older people to stop letting covid-19 steal any more years and encouraging them to return to doing things that they love rather than spending time alone. We heard from some of our older listeners who say they're in what one listener described as a rush and they don't want to go back out and they don't want to engage with the world again. So we've invited Anne Dempsey of Senior Line uh, to join us with uh, some advice this morning. Good morning to you, Anne. 
Good morning, Patricia. And it's always a pleasure to speak to you. Are your volunteers at Senior Line hearing from people who are saying exactly what some of our listeners said to us last week, that they haven't re-engaged with life since the pandemic? We are indeed, Patricia. A lot of our callers, maybe a third, maybe a good third now, I'd say, they're having difficulty getting out and about again. Their world has really shrunk. I mean, we know, Patricia, as we can become that awful word, institutionalised quite quickly. And many of our callers, when they were told to kind of go home, it was very, very difficult. But that has become a safe and familiar place. And I mean, it's it's very relevant to what you're talking to us about the terrible weather forecast over the next few days. I mean, it doesn't, it's more effort now to get out, particularly these days when it is colder. And we find that our callers have lost confidence. A lot of them have lost an awful lot of confidence in going out and about. And particularly those who drive, they've lost confidence in driving, in driving any kind of distance. Maybe they're used to going to the shops. But again, if you venture venture further afield, sometimes things have changed. Road layout is different. And you're very taken aback to find yourself in unfamiliar territory very, very quickly or very, very unexpectedly. So there's all these kinds of reasons why people are very disinclined to go out and stay safe in the inverted commas at home. Yeah, and for those who are scared about COVID-19, and we're in a much better place now, aren't we, thanks to uh, vaccines protecting people, and there's even antiviral drugs that weren't there in the start. We don't get the uh, impression, Patricia, that it's fear of COVID. Okay. I mean, some of our callers will wear a mask and, and, and that they feel that gives them some protection. Now, I do find people, I'm sure you find yourself when you're walk out walking, people still kind of keep that distance away from each other. And you do the dances, you're coming towards people, you yeah. do a sidestep kind of thing. But it's more, it's more about their vulnerability out of doors because they are three years older. We're talking about people who kind of maybe not so young, kind of mid-old and older old people who are feeling a little bit vulnerable anyway. And the other piece we find, Patricia, is people living near cities and towns, that there's a perception that towns have become a little bit less safe, that there's a lot more antisocial behaviour, that some districts look very unfriendly and run down and people are naturally very reticent and, and not that happy about go- going into those areas. Yeah, because they feel nervous. Yeah, that, that is very un- un- understandable. But, and, but isn't it good and for people's mental and physical health to get out and spend time in, in their community? Absolutely essential and we, we, we have five points to make to volunteer to our, to our callers. Just say one thing before we go though, that Still a residual of indignation that we're now being said, cancelled. Hello again, world. And some callers are saying to me, so what do they do when they're saying, saying to us to say goodbye, world, with no thought about that was what that is going to do to us because as you say it has really affected people's mental emotional and physical health you know you're absolutely right so there's a lot of kind of indignation and I seem to be um, expendable and now I'm needed again to join the world and I think it's a very valid point for some older people to make yeah, because I remember, I mean, even when we used to utter the words, remember the, the cocooning? We oh. had so many listeners angry and hated that word whenever we, we used it, when they were almost locked away in their own homes. 
Yes, but it's such a misnomer. It can c- cocoon kind of gives intimations of cosiness and softness, and really the reality was much harsher yeah, yeah. Uh, than that. I'd, 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 I'd like to tell you, Patricia, what we're saying to to our callers about reconnecting. We're saying we we encourage them to reconnect with family, with friendships, with hobbies and learning, with nature and with giving. And I'll just go through them very quickly because we put some thought into them. In terms of family, we're kind of suggesting to both family members if we have an opportunity to talk to them uh, and to the older person says to begin to cook and meet again together. And again, this is as much to adult sons and daughters who can be nervous about meeting their parents who they feel that their parents are going to be more vulnerable to infection. So it needs everyone to say, look, we can do this now. It's OK, as you say. But we've much more protection than we had in the past. So encourage that kind of meeting that used to happen in families and still happens, I know, but not to the same extent, you know, mm. to encourage that. Second, with friendships, we were it was notable to us during uh, the pandemic that a lot of callers who are single, who had some friends who are in couples and the couples weren't they didn't want to meet them because they were nervous about meeting. They just stayed in their coupledom, do you know what I mean? Yeah, in their bubble. Yeah. And a lot of single people felt very kind of a bit rejected and a bit alone. So we feel now is the time to reconnect with your friendships and to, you know, with your friends and your friendships and your neighbours. The third one is with hobbies and learning. Um, no lot of older people, again, this is mixed with the indignation. They were doing loads of things when the call to go home came. Hobbies, uh, learning, libraries, you know, all the things that keep joining classes. And we will encourage you to have a look around to see what's available in your area and have a look. Do you want to go back to what you did before? Would you like to do something new? Nature, lovely time to connect with the great outdoors. Beautiful time of year, even though I know it's going to be cold, but it is lovely, as we know, to get out and about. And as you say, so good for your mental and physical health and walk with a friend. And finally, reconnect with giving. I know that of older people volunteer in so many different kinds of ways. In my own organisation, Third Age, we have over 3,000 trained older volunteers delivering all our socially useful programmes. So reconnect with giving. Go on the Volunteer Ireland website and see what opportunities there are for you to go out and begin doing something for others and you'll feel a million dollars. Well said. Well, well said. And then the wider community, And Does everybody in the wider community have a role to play in reaching out to older people? Very much so. I think, I think that, I mean, I think just sticking with our weather forecast, just practically at the moment, if you have somebody that you feel might slip on the snow on the ice over the next few days, call in and say, can we, can we get in your fuel for you? Can we do your shopping for you? But again, it's about the way the world was very silent when old people were told to, to, to stay at home. I think there were insufficient voices raised. You know, that's not right. We're all the poorer for older people not being part of our community. And that needs to be encouraged again in all kinds of ways. When we talk to our volunteers about why did you volunteer for us, they say, we were asked. You know, we were asked, we were needed, we were asked. Mm. So I think older people need to know that they are needed, they are valuable as members of a community. Last week, though, when it was very much Professor Breather Smith kicking off all this discussion, and when we started talking about it, some of our listeners were highlighting the fact that not all of the daycare centres or the social events, I mean, one person, for example, highlighted their local bingo has never come back, and that other the day centres, they're not back to pre-pandemic levels. So that yeah. all needs to be looked at. If we want older people to re-engage, we need to make sure that the services are there for them to re-engage with. 
Absolutely. We need joined up thinking on this one at a community level. I agree with you completely, Patricia. And again, that's about, I mean, that in order for that to happen, there needs to be the realisation of the value of these amenities and the value to older people, what older people give and receive. in this. So it's, it's a wider piece of understanding and recognition, isn't it? Yeah. And very finally, cost of living crisis. I mean, it's impacting uh, every everyone yeah. uh, and particularly impacting people who are on a fixed income, like pensioners, like o- uh, older people. That's going to have an effect on them getting out and about if there's any kind of a cost involved. It is. It really, really is. I, mean, we, I might have told you in our last conversation, we've just run a series of one-day courses for all our volunteers on coming through COVID for our callers. And in that, in those courses, we've produced for our volunteers a series of fact sheets on how to, you know, manage your energy, how to eat well at cost, how to, you know, take exercise, acknowledging that life has got very expensive and trying to help people in a practical way to maximise what they have. I agree with you. OK, I'll let you go because I know you're under pressure to go to a meeting, Anne, but as always, pleasure to speak with you. Thank you for that and uh, uh, continue to luck with the great work that you do at Senior Line. And just finish by the, the number for Senior Line. The number 1800-80-4591. Open every day, 10 until 10, and we'd love to hear from you. OK, thanks for that, Anne. And you, uh, continue good luck to all the volunteers. They do wonderful, wonderful work at um, Senior Line. That is Anne Dempsey from Senior Line. Some of your texts in reacting to my piece with Anne Dempsey about trying to get older people to re-engage with the world and uh, the chief medical officer saying the same thing, that it's good for your mental health, it's good for your physical health, and they've launched this uh, campaign. I think it's along with the uh, HSC, and it's uh, Hello Again World is the message for people to get out and about. Margaret says, Hi Patricia, COVID ruined me. I'm over 80. I've lost, completely lost my confidence. I now dread driving. Before COVID, I would have driven all over Munster. Never would stop and think about popping and hopping into the car and driving somewhere now. Just really have lost, uh, Margaret has lost her her confidence. I need to go for an eye test to Killarney and I'm already dreading the thought of having to drive there. Old age pensioners definitely suffered a lot, says Margaret. Well, you know, you're not on your own is the only thing I'll say to you, Margaret. And Dempsey even said it uh, when their volunteers are seeing it on Senior Line and driving was, funny enough, one of the things that Anne had mentioned that I hadn't thought about somebody hasn't been driving for a long time you can lose your confidence. The only thing I would say is just slowly, slowly get back into keep, you know, get back into driving if you can try your best, if you can afford to do it, to get out and drive even just a short drive every day, you will get that confidence back. I mean any of those skills that you had, you haven't lost the skill of uh, driving. It's just to get your confidence back and the best way of course to get your confidence back is to get back get back on the horse, get back behind the wheel of the car. We wish you well with this but all I'd say is you're not on your own Margaret, there's a lot of other people uh, feeling the very same way and that's I think it's one of the reasons why they've launched this Hello Again World is because they know there are so many people who haven't re-engaged. 0818 103 103 and of course more and more now is starting to come out about COVID and what happened during COVID times and that's what Heidi is picking up on this morning and she says Patricia, hi I've been reading and finding out what the heck was done to so many people, not just in this country but in so many other countries having seen the Hancock files this is the Hancock files over in the UK the text messages from who was Nick Hancock, who was at the time the Health uh, Secretary and my goodness I spent a lot of time at the weekend, like Heidi, reading some of those uh, text messages that he had between senior advisors and his, you know, his press secretary and other cabinet ministers it was jaw-dropping, some of, one, some of the things that were going on behind the scenes 
scenes was incredible. Anyway, Heidi says she was catching up on the the Hancock WhatsApp files at the uh, weekend um, and the fact that they duped people, Heidi felt, and tried to frighten the pants off people. And that was a quote in one of Nick Hancock's text messages when he said that when was, he was asking one of his press secretaries when they were going to deploy the new variant. Now, I looked into that further. That was to do with the Kent variant. There had been an outbreak and they had it was to be called the Kent variant at the time uh, but they were suppressing the news until they realised how bad it was going to be and if it was going to be worse than what was there at the time but it was just the way it was phrased when are we going to fri- frighten the pants off people by telling them about this new variant and they're hoping the fear factor then will keep people indoors. Heidi says other countries are now uh, seeing what their government did wrong how they were duped and they're speaking out about it I've noticed how quiet our leaders are on the subject here in this country I really think we as a people need to wake up and and see how we have been used and how many of us lost loved ones. It is outrageous. Well, the only thing I can say is we are having a COVID inquiry and we certainly will be having an inquiry as to what happened uh, within the nursing homes. And you're wrong, Heidi, in saying nobody has come out. We had last week the... Uh, professor who was uh, Martin Cormican, who was one of the HSE leads with uh, lead actually funny enough in, in, in infectious diseases and he was a member of NEFET and he's come out. Now the one f- thing I only found out at the weekend was that when Martin Cormican joined NEFET he was the lead for the HSE's infectious control and yet he wasn't brought into Neffert until a year after Neffert was established which seems absolutely bizarre you would have thought he would have been there from the very beginning but anyway he's come out since and said that what was some, some of what was done now in hindsight when you can look back w- was wrong only last week we addressed his we spoke about his issue where he came out and said that particularly the end of life care and people in nursing homes not allowed to have visitors he said that was absolutely and completely uh, wrong now I know when I spoke with Magella Beatty of Care Champions she said it was a pity he didn't come out earlier and said it and I found out the weekend that his own mother actually died in a nursing home facility. Now they were allowed in to be with her when she died but in the lead up to it they weren't allowed in to uh, see her and he described it as inhumane what was done to residents in nursing homes when they weren't allowed visitors. And he also I thought made a very valid point in that it isn't the right of visitors. You know when visitors said I've got no rights to go in and see my mother. He makes the point that as visitors we don't have any rights but it's the resident, it's the patient, it's the person who is either in a hospital bed or is in a nursing home. It's their rights to be able to see their loved ones, to see their family, their grandchildren, their spouses or whatever. I thought that was a very a good point that I hadn't heard from anybody else before. It is a tendency to be we the family saying we couldn't get in where is our rights as visitors. Um, but he he's very much has come out and said that some of what Neffer did at the time, some of the advice that they gave uh, was wrong. Now I know what we'll, we'll, when we will have this inquiry people will say everything that they did at the time they did to try to protect people and let's be honest lives were saved because of measures that were put in place and I suppose all we can do now is we need to learn from what we did during COVID times because while that was you know the first global pandemic in living memory for all of us there will be other pandemics so what happens when this happens again and hopefully it'll be well into the distance but we need to learn so that if and when this happens again that we're ready to act 
and that what needs to be done will be done and will be done correctly and that we won't make the mistakes. That's, I suppose, the, the, the most that we can hope for from any kind of an inquiry. But there certainly is an inquiry going to, I think it's going to start around the middle of this year. Uh, Leo Radker, I know, was only talking about it last week. 0818 103 103. Now, last week on the programme, quite a distressing text in from a listener who sent in a text uh, to looking for advice. She had a, now she didn't say whether it was a family member, but a young girl, a first year student who had confided in her. I'm, I'm assuming possibly a family member, maybe a niece, you know, um, maybe a godchild. Anyway, she had confided in her that somebody in her class, a classmate, had sent on intimate photographs, vile photographs and videos and was looking for this young first year student to send um, same similar pictures back to this classmate and this it really upset this young girl and to the point that with the listener contacted us that she's gone very withdrawn and she was a very vivacious bubbly young girl but she, she can already see the effect that these text videos and photographs had had on her and she was looking for advice she hadn't told her parents and of course the general view last week was that her parents absolutely need to be told and the school needs to be told and an intervention needs to take place well lo and behold on the front page of the Irish Examiner today is a story by the political correspondent uh, Kira Phelan which runs under the headline of a rise in sharing of intimate I- images. And according to Kira in the Examiner today, there has been an alarming rise in young people who are engaged in sharing intimate or nude images. And this is coming from Angarda Siakona. The Garda National Protection Services Bureau, they're now warning parents that they need to become more vigilant about what their children are doing on their phones. And speaking in the examiner today is the Bureau's detective superintendent, a gentleman by the name of Ian Lackey. And he said parental responsibility has to play a role in what young people are sending to each other. And he said it's difficult to get the message across to teenagers of the dangers involved. They don't see in some cases, any harm in it. So therefore, it really is up to the parents. And he makes the point that once a boy or a girl sends an intimate image, it then becomes completely uncontrollable because obviously screenshots can be taken. And of course, the big problem is that a boyfriend and a girlfriend might send an intimate image one to the other thinking, oh, it's for your eyes only. But of course, what happens then if if anything happens in the the relationship ends and somebody decides I'm going to get my own back on so and so and of course then the image can be shared and once it gets shared once it just can go viral so so quickly. Social media companies normally can remove an image within three days but often within the three days the damage is already well well done. So uh, Detective Superintendent Lackey is saying parents should be asking if they know exactly what their child is doing on their mobile uh, phone. And he makes the point that we're not the parental police, but parental responsibility has to come into it in the terms of not being afraid to ask your children what they're doing on their phones, what apps they are using, what content are they downloading on the uh, apps. And he said that that can get harder the older the young person uh, gets. Uh, Detective Inspector Lackey said that parents are obviously shocked when a member of Angarda Siakona arrives at their front door to inform them that their son or daughter has sent on an intimate image. He said Gardaí are there obviously to support the parents and to give advice on you know trying to get the image removed. But he said in a lot of the cases and the reason that they don't have 
actual figures on it is because when they look into it, they often see that it's a 16 year old girl sending an image to a 16 year old boyfriend. We then approach the approach they take then is mainly from a child welfare approach. They say, you know, they're not there to prosecute the girl for sending on the image that she shouldn't have sent on. They're there very much to make sure that the parents know that this has happened and that she's engaged in this behaviour. And then, of course, they have to liaise with uh, Tusla because they have an obligation because it is a child welfare uh, issue. But he says, I think the fact that police arriving at a family's front door is a shock in itself. Then when they explain to the parents that the reason they're there is that their son or daughter has shared uh, images, regardless of the reason behind it. It is technically a criminal offence, which is something I hadn't uh, thought about. However, he said they don't deal with it in that approach because they are, they, you know, they are very much aware that it is juvenile to juvenile. But I imagine parents would get a dreadful shock if there was a knock on the door to be told that their 14-year-old daughter has been sharing intimate photographs, even if it was with just her, her boyfriend. And, the, and of course, the young girl herself may not have even thought about the dangers uh, behind it. Detective Superintendent Lackey said the overwhelming aspect for victims is the potential embarrassment factor that leaves them in a position where they do not want to tell people that they've allowed somebody else to either take this intimate photograph or that they've taken the intimate photograph themselves and then posted it to somebody uh, else. He said he believes the whole area of the non-consensual sharing of intimate uh, images he reckons that is well underreported and also young males are less likely to seek help. He's now urging people to come forward to Gardaí who will listen to them, who will support them and will also abide by anyone's wishes on how they want the matter to be uh, dealt uh, with. So it looks like it is on the rise and that, you know, so if you have a teenage son or daughter, just the conversation needs to happen as to what they are are downloading what messages they are sending or even as in the case from last week what messages they're actually receiving. Okay, just on the piece with that I just did with um, Anne Dempsey about getting older people to re-engage Anne Dempsey with uh, Senior Line Michael and Castanabair says where are the older people's councils? Not a word from them since the lockdown. They should have been regular contributors on your programme Patricia and on other radio and television chat uh, shows. There wasn't even a single phone call from them the whole idea of older people's councils needs to be looked at again and revamped. I'll see what I can find out what has happened with them because they were certainly very strong before the pandemic. Thank you for your WhatsApp, Michael, to 0862 103 103. Now, I read a piece in The Echo last week by Sarah Horgan that the Cork founder of one of Ireland's best known charities is to retire following decades of helping the world's most vulnerable people. So we couldn't let the occasion pass without catching up with the wonderful Maureen Forrest who first set up the Hope Foundation back in 1999. Good morning to you, Maureen. Good morning, Patricia. And fantastic to uh, speak to you. I suppose the first question, was it a difficult decision for you to step down as voluntary CEO? Patricia, not really. I, um, the time was right. I knew it was, it was right to do it now. Uh, there were young people coming up with vision and uh, definitely much more energy, new ideas. And I think I've laid the foundations uh, pretty well for it to continue under new uh, leadership. But you will still play a role in the charity? Yes, 
yes yeah. and i suppose that's the beautiful part of it i will now stay on doing the thing that i love most which is actually uh working with the people of india and i am traveling there next week actually um on saint patrick's day and i suppose the beauty of this trip for me patricia is my granddaughter will be there she is traveling over with her school and i think that just tells the whole story how the the organization is moving on to the next generation yeah and and, and i think which is wonderful and and wonderful to travel with with to have your granddaughter with you as well so i suppose go back to 1999 uh, Maureen, and how the hope foundation was first set up well, my life didn't actually start in Calcutta in doing volunteering work. Um, I spent uh, time in uh, Somalia, in Rwanda, and a little time in Swaziland. Uh, that was my introduction to actually working in the famine and in those countries and seeing the horrors that what war and what famine brings to countries. But it was only on a visit to uh, Calcutta uh, with Goal at that time, they had um, an organization and they, you know, Goal, they, they were in Calcutta, that I went there as a volunteer. And I spent uh, two months there and I saw the absolute horrors of what life for the three children was like. I mean, way back then, that's, oh my God, 23 years, 24 years ago, or longer actually, that's when we set it up, you know, uh, it's almost 30 years ago, when I saw the little children trying to survive just on the streets with no protection. They were being physically abused, sexually abused, and, and absolutely having begging for their food or scavenging through the refuse. And, and I, I really couldn't believe that such a thing was happening in our world even then. And I, at that time, I, I thought I could never go back to Calcutta. I thought the pain and the suffering there was just too much to bear. But I came home and it was when I was at home, I said, gosh, um, I didn't really think I would go back, to be quite honest. But my daughter and I were traveling and we went to Delhi and we decided that we would go back down to Calcutta. I hadn't planned it. I, I just, something drew me there. And it was on that visit that when I was there with Louise, that we decided we could do something small. We thought if we opened a home for about 20 children, that that would be something wonderful. And uh, we had to, there was, it's never easy setting up a charity or even, you know, sometimes we think we have a dream and we think that dream will just happen. But there were so many challenges and so much uh, legal work to be done into actually even registering the charity both in India and in Ireland. But we, we, we succeeded and uh, this charity, as people know it now, has grown to uh, quite a large charity and uh, helping thousands and thousands of children in Kolkata. So from that one home, how many homes do you now have? Uh, we now have 11 homes. And uh, again, homes are not, homes for us are just a place for the children. The children who go to our homes, really, they are rescued and they have to go through uh, the social services to be placed in our homes. And it's only children that are really in, uh, at higher risk will go to the homes because we really spend a lot of our time now trying to deinstitutionalize our homes and try 
and build a connection with the, with the families. So as you can imagine, Patricia, most of these families are living in dire poverty, living on the streets with no shelter. But we still try and keep that connection with the families. It's so because, important. Uh, it's it so is, important. Yeah. And, and, you know, I know we have people struggling with the cost of living crisis uh, in this country. But Maureen, the levels of poverty you have witnessed in, in Calcutta, it's, that's just on, it's a completely different level, isn't it? Yes, uh, it's abject poverty. It, it, it's, it's a poverty that we will never understand here. And really, I always feel actually that the only way you could understand it is by the physical presence of actually witnessing it firsthand. And that's why at the moment, I mean, just before COVID, we had 400 students from Irish schools visiting our projects in Calcutta. I think to me, they were, they, they are, you know, I think it's one of the most wonderful things we did from the Irish side, not, not disregarding the, all the work we do in Calcutta, is these children, you know, they're young, they're in transition year, and they helped make a huge change in the world when they return because they become the future ambassadors for global change and they create great awareness of global justice issues and also for them it's life-changing for them i remember being with the first group of students that went over and i was in a slum talking with her she threw her arms around me and she said maureen i can never thank you enough for this and i was i was didn't know what what she meant and she said for opening my eyes to the problems in the world that i would never have seen so i think that this program in itself you know is, it, it has a great future and it is the future for the young people of our world to see uh, the, the abject poverty yeah. in other parts of the yeah. world. And then the, the, the young children, the young street children, Maureen, that you have helped, I, I'm assuming you've seen many of them flourish and grow into <laughs> healthy, beautiful young adults. Amazing, amazing. They're getting married. Ah. Uh, and <laughs> I'm becoming a granny over there as well as a granny here. <laughs> and uh, and some of the older ones, There's, uh, I think there's 161 students in third level this year uh, where they're studying, like our kids studying here, hotel management, accountancy, uh, technical engineering, you name it, they're doing whatever they actually choose to do, which is wonderful. And these are children that literally had no hope whatsoever of even getting an education, only that uh, hope was there for them. Yeah, ma many of them wouldn't have survived into adulthood. Many of them wouldn't no, be alive today. No. no, they wouldn't. No, they wouldn't. No, 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 no. And it is, you know, and I, you know, I suppose Patricia is like everything. This was just such a marvelous team of people with hope who, who have dedicated so much of their, their lives to helping me and 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 everybody to 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 get it to where it is. And I suppose the the wonderful story of it really would be. During COVID, there was no Irish visitors over there, obviously, because we were all in lockdown. We had no volunteers. And it was just the remarkable way that the Indian staff themselves just managed everything. They were absolutely incredible, brought it to another level. And uh, it, that's what sustainable development work is all about, is that they can do it on their own. They do need some financial help still from us, and that we will continue to do. 
And I will actually, you know, visit uh, just to make sure all the programmes well are... Well done. Well done. Fundraising always, uh, I mean, I imagine during COVID fundraising, did that dry up completely for you? Well, Patricia, you, I will never forget when I suddenly realised that all the hotels were closed, all the planes, nothing was going to be going. We were going to drop half of our income overnight. There was no other way that this was not going to happen. But we went online, we transitioned over to doing different things. And our loyal, wonderful supporters never left us down. And as a matter of fact, Patricia, that time for COVID, because we converted our little hospital into a full COVID hospital. And um, and I suppose one of the most beautiful things is that, you know, when we launched that appeal, we got a million euro almost in about, I don't know how many days to fund uh, that conversion and to fund the people not alone who were in the hospital with COVID. And, you know, it was wonderful. If people think of the money they gave that time just made so many people breathe easier at night. You know, that was what kept me going, to think that we could have people that would be gasping for breath and then being in the hospital and breathing easier because we got all the equipment. We got some of it sent over from Ireland. And it, it was amazing. It was amazing. And as well as that, because all the uh, daily labourers living on the streets and in the slums, they only worked from day to day for a pittance. They had no food. They couldn't feed their families. So we were then able to make up food packs and feed thousands of families during the duration of that time. Unreal. You do. You've been doing unbelievable work uh, since it was first um, set up. So you're looking forward to your trip over on around St. Patrick's Day? I am. I am. I always, I mean, it's like family over there and I always look forward going over to meeting friends and family, really. So, yeah. So, yes. I, yes, yes. And how long, I mean, how long I, will you stay for? I will stay. I, this is quite a, a bit of a short visit of four weeks because my I have a little grandchild on the way in the middle of April. OK. So I have to be back for that. <laughs> That's an important occasion for sure. Very. Listen, yeah, it's... Confirmations as well oh. before I go. So. <laughs> <laughs> Granny's in demand. Listen, it's it's a pleasure as always to to talk to you. Um, I was going to say enjoy your retirement, but it certainly doesn't sound like it's anything like a retirement. But continue well, good luck to the fantastic work that you and the rest of the gang do at the Hope Foundation. Yeah. It it really is amazing. Thank you, oh, Patricia. I have handed it over to two wonderful ladies, Fiona and Maura. So it is being actually, I you know. That part of it is done. Okay. That's where my retirement is in. Yeah. All right. It's okay. Thanks. thanks for that, thanks. Maureen, and thanks thank for joining you. us. Uh, bye bye. That is uh, Maureen Forrest uh, from East Cork, founder of the Hope Foundation, which continues to provide an amazing amount of hope to people in uh, India. Mary said, I've been to Calcutta with Maureen. She is an amazing woman. So great to see the work uh, that the Hope Foundation does. And that's from Mary Collins. Thank you for that, Mary Ann. It's only when you're on the ground that you get to see the, the as Maureen talks about the poverty on just a completely different level to poverty we talk about in this country but it's just to see the difference that can be made uh, by supporting and by the work that Maureen has done and the education projects that she, that she runs uh, She's the volunteers and the people who work with the Hope Foundation are really incredible 0818 103 103 our lines are open Court today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group they don't just talk the talk they want Walk the walk. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. 
in the last hour when we were talking about older people and older people re-engaging um, with society again and getting back out into the world and we had Anne Dempsey on offering, offering advice from Senior Line. Michael got on to us uh, to say where are the older people's councils? Not a word from them since the, the lockdown and he was making the point that they should have been regularly contributing to shows like this and other radio and TV programmes and he said not a single phone call from them. The whole idea of the older people's councils needs to be looked at again and revamped. So during the news at 11 I did a quick kind of a Google search to see what is happening with the older people's councils and the older people's councils are set up by all of the individual county councils and the latest I could find and this is not to say that there hasn't been a further update but it was about a year ago 1st of February in 2022 would have been the then Mayor of the County of Cork was Councillor Gillian Coughlin at the time they put out an appeal for new members to join Cork County's older people's councils and the councils provide a way for older adults to take a more active role in their communities have their voices uh, heard and certainly February of last year the council was encouraging people to join and it was open to anyone who lived in the county of uh, Cork, any residents aged 50 and over. So do we take it 50 is now the age that is deemed you can you are officially an older person? Anyway, when I was looking down through a press release that Gillian Coughlin as mayor had issued on behalf of Cork County's Older People's uh, Council. She was saying, and this was during the pandemic, that it is really making a difference. She said the Older People's Council and the Age Friendly Office kept in contact with all of their members throughout all of the lockdowns. They did it through Zoom. They offered online exercises. They did singing classes. There was phone contact. There was regular emails. And and she said there was even surprise packages that were sent through the letterbox, which was a much needed boost when it was needed. So it's still very much up and running. And of course, through the age friendly and through the, I'm, I'm assuming it's under the auspices of the Older People's Councils, they've set up age friendly towns in uh, the county. And up to February of last year, there was eight age friendly towns. There could be more have been added to this list. But up to last year, uh, Kinsale Bandon, Mitchellstown, Cove Bantry, Charleville, Mill Street, Passage West, Monkstown were all deemed age friendly towns. And it was the ambition of Cork County Council last year that every town would be age friendly. So I don't know if more have been added on to that or not. So they are still very much there. Uh, and I don't I know, Michael, if you were once a member, are you... Uh, for some reason um, they've lost your membership I don't really know but if you want to make contact with them they are available and they have an email for anybody over the age of 50 who'd like to get involved and find out more about Cork County's older people's councils as I say there's one for all of the different local authorities because there's 31 older people's councils around the country so if you want to get involved in the Cork County one then you can contact agefriendly at corkcoco.ie agefriendly at corkcoco.ie but stay on this topic because the wonderful Eileen out on Bear Island who we regularly spoke to particularly during lockdowns has been listening with interest to this conversation and she joins me good morning to you Eileen Morning, Patricia. Always, always great to, uh, to speak to you. Thank you. Now Thank you're you. you're making the point that for older people who haven't re-engaged, that rather than waiting for somebody to come to your door and to re-engage with you, older people themselves need to do more for themselves. Is is that oh, kind uh, of your message? Yeah. Well, it's it's you see at the end of the day, Patricia, all the organisations in the world can't help you if you don't help yourself first. Uh, you have to help yourself first because you can sit in front of a, a group of people 
and you can talk and talk and talk, but you, you, in your head you're thinking, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do that, you know? Mm-hmm. So you've got to help yourself. And you've got to say, I'm going to help myself. And there's so many other things you can do to help yourself. And, and I know there are. I, mean, I know I didn't want to go out. I hated going out. And the thought of going out terrified me. But the first day I went out, I just it was great, you know? So, and did you and, do it in, 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 when you say that you hated going out, this was following your mastectomy, wasn't it? It was, yeah. 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 So uh-huh. you had a lot going on, you had all the medical procedures and, and uh-huh, all of that. Yeah. And all, I didn't want to meet people and didn't want people asking me how I was. It was I know. Like, but I didn't because what do you say, you know, what do you say to people, you know, because they don't really want to hear your history, you know, they don't want to know that. They just wanted to say, oh, I'm fine, I'm grand, you know. And, and did you feel did you feel you got caught in it almost as one listener said last week? She feels she's in a rush. It's easier to stay indoors and well, not it's go out. It's a lot easier to stay indoors. It is a lot easier because indoors you feel you know you're cocooned, you feel safe, and you you you. But you have to get out there. But Patricia, there are so many things you can do to help yourself. Little things. And I was saying to John Paul, if you look back, I'm seventy six now. Look at what we've lived through. Mm. You know. Okay, there are more years behind us than are in front of us, and we have to face that. It's true, you know. But uh, look at what we've lived through, you know. And I find one, one thing, me personally, I find write things down, write little things down, you know. Do small little things at home, even if just only try a new little recipe, you know. Plant a bit of basil or parsley on your window and watch it grow if you haven't got a garden. There's so many small little things you can do. Give yourself a pedicure. If you can't reach your feet, give yourself a manicure. Paint your toenails. Do little things like that. Okay, no one's going to see your toenails, but you're going to see them in the morning when you get out of bed and you're going into bed at night. You're going to see them, you're going to say, isn't that nice? You know? You know, if you have, like, a thing, like I found, little things, my skin got very dry, you know? Little things like that. A piece of, you don't have to spend money on expensive things. A little bit of cooking oil and a bit of salt. Make a little paste, rub it on the hard skin. And wash it up, and you feel, oh my God, that's lovely and smooth. A little bit of moisturizer. There's so many small little things you can do to help yourself. And I know the organisations out there, and it's great. And some people like going out and meeting and talking to people and getting involved in groups, you know, and that's great. But it, you still have to help yourself. You still have to help yourself. Challenge yourself, you know, challenge yourself to little things. If, if it's only just going for a little walk, you know, go. So far one day and the next day, you know, I'll go another bit and another bit and another bit. Yeah, because yeah, I was know? even saying that to the to the listener who is in her. She's older than you. She's in her eighties, and she said her confidence with driving she lost. And I was saying, well, take the car out every day. Just go for a small little journey to start with, and yeah. because you, you you don't lose the skills, they'll come back. Oh you no, just, you don't. Yeah, oh, no, you don't. You don't lose them. It's just that you don't have the confidence to do it anymore. You know, and there are certain things I I suppose I can't do anymore that I could do before. But, but at the end of the day, you know, another thing I found, um, I I it was always a, a regret of mine that I didn't keep up my Irish when I was going to school. Mm. So you challenge yourself if you listen to the Newark on Irish and try to understand it. Mm. It's a great little thing to do. You know, <laughs> it is. And see it how is. much of it you can understand. Yeah. Yeah, that's you know? good. Yeah, and what what I do with that because like like you, it's it's one of my big regrets that I I didn't I really have no grasp of, of the Irish language. But I do that w- with the Newark, and then I'll watch the real news to see how much yeah. of it did I actually pick up. And you yeah. you will pick up odd odd words. But get, yeah. get but get, I mean you, you live on beautiful Bear Island, so you've got gorgeous well, places I, to go I'm and walk. Lucky. But, I'm lucky. 
But, but everyone can find their own. But little, you can find beauty yeah. in the smallest thing, Patricia. Even like I said, if you, even if you do, if you live in the city and you don't have a garden, right? Yeah, you can make a little garden in your house. Even just only look one little plant, mm. one little plant. And if you plant, say a little bit of basil or parsley, and think of the joy you get when you see that growing, and you can sprinkle it on your food. You know that that's something you did. You know, and nothing and tastes better than then nothing yeah. tastes better than ho- than homegrown basil. No, no, <laughs> and I think myself if, when you do get out there, when you do, don't talk too much about yourself. You know, don't concentrate too much on yourself. Yeah, right. Yeah, Please, yeah. Talk, talk about other things. Talk about different topics. You know, something in the news, some little thing. You know, that happened in some other country in the world. Don't concentrate too much. I think we concentrate too much on ourselves. You know, oh pity me, I'm poor me. You know. Talk, don't talk about yourself all the time. Yeah, and actually and when helps. I was... When I and was... keep, I find in the morning when you get up, write little things down. Small things if nice, something you saw outside the window, some little thing you heard, any little thing like that. And say at the end of the week or the end of the month, you look back at some of the things you've written and they're hilarious, you know. <laughs> it's like a journal. It's a journal to yourself. It's like a journal. Because, you know, I, I find out, you know, you get to the age and you think of things when you were younger, you know, mm. and write them down because you think about it when you're dead and gone. Your family are going to have so much fun reading about some of the things you've written. That's good. That's a, be a, a great, know? great gift in, into the future. And how, come here, how are you keeping health-wise? I'm, I'm good. I'm good. good. That's great to hear. You know, don't concentrate too much on yourself, you know. You and know, life, on, life on Bear Island, how's, how's everybody getting on? Life on Bear Island is all getting back to normal, is you it? know. It's, 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 um, last week now was absolutely beautiful. The weather was lovely. There's daffodils growing, you know. It, it, you know all that kind of thing the grass when my grass needs cutting <laughs> but anyway I'll get around to that too you will you will Listen, I'll get around to that too it's always, a, it's always a pleasure to speak to you thank you Eileen right. stay but safe tell people please 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 don't don't um, just sit there and think constantly about yourself get out there because you have to help yourself first if yeah. you want other people to help you you have to help yourself Great words of advice as always. Thanks for that, Eileen. All right, Patricia, Thanks. nice to talk and to you. And lovely Thank to talk much. to you. That's the very sage advice and the very wise woman that Eileen out on Bear Island, she always is, she was fantastic during lockdown as well. She gave us some great fun and uh, and it was just, her positivity was just incredible and it has continued on and long, long may continue. Thanks to Eileen for that. 0818 103 103. Now, Killarney Lister was on to us earlier to say, Patricia, the government is abolishing, abolishing public hospital charges charges next month. I'm wondering what will happen to people who have public hospital health insurance only? For example, can I still use my health insurance as heretofore and say I want to be treated as a private patient at the time of admission or will this choice now end from a Killarney listener? I imagine what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to get on to your whoever you are, you have your private health insurance with and get that checked because it'll vary from policy to policy. But you are right. The hospital charges, I'd actually forgotten about that. So thank you for reminding us of this. The hospital hospital charges are going to be abolished by April of this year. And that was announced in the budget last October for budget 2023. The charge for inpatient day services at the moment, it's currently, it's 80 euro a day, isn't it? And you pay up to a maximum of 800. So after, if you've been in, the hospital for 10 days in any one calendar year you only pay the 800 and you don't have to pay anything else after that but from April and I'm assuming are we are we saying from the 1st of April but it is to be uh, abolished I know earlier on 
in January, uh, Stephen Donnelly went, you know, brought the draft legislation that would scrap that would scrap the fees, uh, brought it to uh, to cabinet, um, and it's it, according to budget twenty twenty three, it was it'll be it's expected to cost the exchequer thirty million euro, but it certainly will benefit people who have to attend inpatient or day services in a public hospital. The eighty euro per day will be abolished. But as I say to our Killarney listener, check it out. Put a phone call through today to your health insurer and put that question to them because they say it will vary from policy to policy. 0818-103-103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. C103 Jobs. Walsh Heating and Cooling. They've got vacancies for an electrician and a refrigeration engineer. Email your CV, please, to info at walshheatingandcoolinglimited.com. Production staff wanted for Coolmore Bakery. They're based in West Cork. Email sales at coolmorefoods.ie. Qualified mechanic required for remote work with Snap-on. Email corkjobs at snapon.com. And a part-time bookkeeper is wanted for a busy agricultural garage in the Dunamore area, 87 You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Now for the last few years, West Cork-based Fine Gael Senator Tim Lombard has been trying to get something done about the number of abandoned vessels in Irish waters and only last week he again asked the Minister for Transport Eamon Ryan if his department had any policy in place and to discuss the issue further Senator Tim Lombard joins me Good morning to you Tim Good morning And you're welcome Now there were two shipwrecks in particular that you've got concerns about One is in Ballycotton and one is in Kinsale I suppose remind us firstly about these vessels and the problems they're causing in the areas where they are yeah, the one in Ballycotton is there since the 16th of February uh, 2020, and it's been there. It literally broke in two a few months ago. So it's an issue that Cork and Council have been the main lead agency on, and we've been trying to make sure that that actual wreck is to be looked at. But uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, there's been very, very little movement on it. The second issue, the second wreck then is a one that's literally at the old bridge site in Kinsale and it's been there since I think literally 13, 14 years and we have literally failed to get any movement on that and it's literally tied up on the key wall at the old bridge site in Kinsale for over a decade now at this stage. And the impact that these wrecks have? I think they're very significant. Like even when you look at the whole environmental issues of having a wreck, like the one in Kinsale in particular, I went down to, to it last Monday to meet residents. It's literally tied up at a key wall. It's been there for over a decade. It will take the key wall with it in time into the ocean when it deteriorates enough. Like it's a very unique spot. It's the old bridge crossing in Kinsale itself. Lovely part of the world, but it's only a matter of time before the entire wall goes with this basically old fishing trawler that's abandoned there for over a decade. And like our problem here is that the local authority have been tasked with the responsibility of cleaning up both sites, both in Ballycotton and here in Kinsale. And the local authority isn't equipped to deal with these issues. Like it's a really significant body of work to actually 
financially, physically, and even get the expertise in place to actually remove these actual vessels itself. And because of that, national legislation needs to be put in place. And the national legislation comes out of a directive that's there, I think it's from 2007, that hasn't been enacted into law. And primary legislation has to come in from that directive. Yeah, because I know whenever you've raised this issue in the past uh, in the Senate, that's what you're quoted and you were quoted it again last week. It is this Nairobi International Convention on the removal of wrecks. And you're right, it dates back to 2007. I mean, do we know what's in that convention? Yeah, that gives the actual power to the local, to the actual government to go chasing the ship owners, the okay. people that actually originally owned the ships, and also change the li- and to chase the liabilities if there's insurance on it. So it gives power to actually for the national or local government, depending who actually enacts the legislation, to chase the primary owner of the vessel to make sure they're responsible for the vessels that have been either abandoned, disregarded, or you know literally sank depending on how it works, because of the lack of drive to get this piece of legislation put into law, we've had this issue that it's dragged on and dragged on. And literally, we have coastlines which are littered. We've The coastlines littered with these actual vessels up and down the actual foreshore itself. And because of that, it's a, it's a blight on our environment. And I kept on using the analogy that we have great, wonderful communities that go out every weekend picking litter on beaches. Do a fantastic job. Wonderful people. Uh, but then we have the armed estate in so many ways that haven't enacted that piece of legislation to help move the major pieces of litter, the huge projects, the huge ships, the vessels that have been literally abandoned for decades. And yeah, and it also, it, if, if what it doesn't make sense as well is, I mean, if, if someone abandoned a car and left it in a housing estate or left it in the middle of town somewhere and just decided, oh, I'm scrapping that, I don't want that car anymore, it wouldn't be left there, it would be removed. Yeah, and there's legislation put in place for local authorities to take that that car from your housing estate and have it removed yeah. and to bill you for it. This is probably the exact piece of legislation, but it's probably in the mariner's kind of code of conduct. But we haven't enacted it. We haven't actually... But do we, d- did you ever get to the bottom of why, 16 years later, this Nairobi International Convention on the removal of wrecks, why we haven't ratified it? I suppose I kind of lost my cool in the Shannon last week. I actually think there's a lack of will here. I think the department has so many issues going around that they haven't really looked at this one itself and they haven't actually put a, a team in place to bring this piece of legislation forward. And I raised this two years ago and I got a carbon copy response to the actual issue that I got this time around. It was like they read out the exact same report and there's been no movement here. And until we actually get movement, the next vessel will be abandoned and will sit there and the landowners and the insurance are the boat owner and the insurance company pertaining to it will not be caught for the liability of moving it on. And that's and, the problem. And yet I, I, I saw a piece from Own English in today's Irish Examiner where he's talking about the state is examining satellite technology to help it to identify and track ghost ships and lost containers in Irish territorial waters. And, and, and I thought, this is great. They'll have the satellite technology. But sure, what good is it if they're going to identify all of these wrecks and then we don't have the legal framework about what to do with the wrecks once they're identified? And that's exactly it. We're probably moving two steps ahead on one side. We're not putting the actual found, the foundations place on the other side. And the foundations really are this piece of legislation. 
and it is exceptionally frustrating for these communities who do so much hard work to, to have the actual lack of this prime legislation put in place, which will give real powers to the local authority or to the national powers to actually have these wrecks moved. And look, we've been at this 13, 14 years, banging your head against the brick wall. You really would be frustrated now, like to think that there's been no actual. Like I know in the Owen English article, they're saying they've put a group together to look at the legislation, but there's been no concrete proposals put in place to actually make sure that legislation comes before us. And like this week's legislation is really, really important because look, I know these vessels, some of them have dangerous materials on board, fuel, God knows whatever else, and they've literally just been abandoned. And it's it's a it's a blight on our coastline, and it's a blight on how we actually operate our local government because. Like, I keep on coming back to, to litter pit pickers. Every Saturday morning, they're out and about doing what they can, particularly in coastal areas. And we have large vessels rotting in our actual environment. Well, it I remember the one the, the one you talked about in Ballycotton, the, the MV Alta, I think it's it's called. And I remember when that go, was a ghost ship at the time we were all talking about, when that was washed ashore, I remember we were issuing warnings to young people who were going down and trying to get on board. The, and, and now it's since broken into two. But there was a serious risk to people's lives if young, you know, young people do what young people do. They thought it was a great experience for them to go down and play around on this ghost ship and there was videos were taken of young people on these ghost ships but somebody could have been killed on, on it. Oh, completely. And I think they're real. And the same thing's the same issue in Kinsale but that ship that's in Kinsale you could if you want to access that ship and it is absolutely in a death trap on every angle and that is a real concern for everyone and like I would have posted that video online of the actual ship itself and it's, you know, rotting into the actual sea and it will take the pier wall with it. That's shocking. It, it really is shocking. And, and then I saw the Southern Star were reporting a car. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Lying submerged in, in a lake in Drina for almost a year and neither Cork County Council or Ishka Air and Irish Water are taking responsibility for, moving, for removing it. 
this is the most bizarre story of all. Like last minute, uh, we've had a car literally been to Lake Andrina. It's been there ever since. And I had a meeting down in Andrina last, it was the last Monday week. And they were telling me a story about the car in the lake. And I actually thought they were losing their mind. Basically, we had a car that went into the lake um, and Irish Water, which is how it changed its name, and Cork and the Council haven't actually decided who's going to take responsibility for getting the car out of the lake. And my understanding is that it's the drinking water for Drina comes directly from that actual water body itself. And there was significant concern at the meeting I was at about the water quality there and about the, the idea of having a, uh, the water quality, that the, the water that they drink and having a car literally in it for nearly 12 months and nobody actually taking responsibility for it. It literally was, they were washing their hands at this, uh, of the matter, which was absolutely bizarre. So um, I thought. And who do, who do you that. believe should be responsible? Oh, I personally believe that, like in my opinion, Cork and the Council have due regard here to the actual ownership of the lake. I think that's okay. in their actual remit itself. And I think because it's Irish water might use the water body for drinking water, it should be the local authority that should take the car out of the lake. But it should have been taken out months ago. And to think they even had an argument about it, it just shows the bizarre understanding of what's required here. Like, there's bound to be um, stuff on that car, whether it's diesel, petrol, brake fuel, oil, yeah. you name it, that are bound to be harmful to the lake environment and bound to be harmful to the actual drinking environment of of people, of Dreen in particular. And that's where and locals are fearful about the quality of their water because of this car sitting right in the lake. So. Yeah. And do you and know what the update? Do you know what the update on that is? At the moment, it's still up in the air, to say the very least. There's been no uh, confirmation by the local authority that they're actually going to take this car out of the lake itself. And as it sits there at the moment, it sits in the lake, and that is phenomenal. Now, I was told when the water um, were at a low level last year during the summer, you could see the roof of the car from the actual um, shore itself. So, but it's bizarre to think that you have a scenario that that car is literally still stuck in the lake nearly 12 months later. Yeah, it's, it's, it really is incredible. I couldn't believe it actually. The same when I, when I saw it in the Southern Star. It was one of those things I had to read it twice saying, is this for real? Uh, yeah, it seems crazy. Okay, listen, keep us updated, uh, Tim. In the meantime, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Uh, good morning to you. Bye bye. That is uh, Senator Tim Lambert from uh, West Cork. 0818 103 103. And there was a text in earlier. I don't know if this is affecting other people or not, but uh, when we were talking about people re engaging with the world and, and people were talking about they haven't even gone back to Mass yet, people still watching Mass online. Pat says, Trish, I went to Mass in Mallow lately. There was four collections for the one Mass. There was one outside on the way into Mass. Then when we got inside Mass, there was two collections. And then on the way out, there was somebody else collecting. So four collections in total. No wonder people are not going there. How do others feel about the amount of collections at Mass? Well, I know the Churchgate collections. Is that unusual to have a Churchgate collection and then another collection on the way out as well? And then why was there two collections inside? And I suppose the church will say and the charities that are there doing the Churchgate collections, you only give what you can afford. But some people feel very intimate when they're walking in to in walking into the church past a church gate collection particularly if it's somebody they know they feel they have to donate even if they can't afford to do it this
This is Cork Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork Today at C103.ie. Um, we're going to Bantry for this month's Citizen Information slot where I'm joined by Anne O'Donovan, Development Manager with South Munster Citizens Information Service. Good morning to you, Anne. And today's topic for discussion is timely with uh, another public holiday just around the corner, St. Patrick's Day. You're doing information on public holidays, annual leave and parental leave. But firstly, how's everything going at this information? Are you busy? Uh, We're busy, Patricia. Uh, Looking, it's great to be able to assist people who are seeking our help. We have an increasing number of people dropping into our centres for appointments and face-to-face consultations. And I suppose, look, I would always encourage people to contact us, particularly if they find themselves at any kind of a crossroads in their life, as, you know, if they come in and they can look at their options and clarify information, it can make life easier for them in the long run. Okay, now we are approaching, as I mentioned, St. Patrick's Day and then Easter won't be long after that. So people will be looking forward to getting some time off work. Can you clarify the entitlements that employees have when it comes to these public holidays? So most employees, uh, are entitled to paid leave on public holidays. Now, there is an exception for certain part-time employees, and we can look at that later, but if you qualify for the public holiday benefit, you're entitled to one of the following, okay? So normally, if you work on uh, on the public holiday and the business is closed, you get it as a paid day off uh, as normal. Um, alternative centres, you can get an additional day of annual leave or an additional day's pay or a payday off within a month of the public holiday. Those are kind of the alternatives if you don't have it as a, as a normal payday off. You can ask your employer at least 21 days before the public holiday which of those alternatives would apply. And then if your employer doesn't respond to you, you're entitled to take the, annual, uh, the actual public holiday as a, a payday off. And you mentioned part-time workers. It's slightly different. What, what are the rights there? So if you're a part-time worker, if you've worked for your employer for at least 40 hours in the five weeks before the public holiday and the public holiday falls on a day you normally work you then have it as a, a, you know as a, as a paid day off if you're required to work that day you're entitled to an additional day's pay in lieu of the day off now the question that often comes up really is for people maybe who don't work on the it isn't their normal day of work so if you don't normally work on that particular day you should get one-fifth of your weekly pay so even if you're never rostered to work on a public holiday, you're still entitled to one-fifth of your weekly pay as compensation for the public holiday. I, to, I suppose to put that in practical terms, for mo- most public holidays fall on a Monday. Mm. So if as a part-time worker you never work on Mondays, you're still entitled to be compensated for the public holiday provided you've worked for at least 40 hours in the five weeks leading up to it. Oh, okay. So that's sometimes that causes sometimes kind of causes confusion for people but but that's the situation. Okay and then every single year without fail we'll get the question about Good Friday and is Good Friday a public holiday? Absolutely you're totally <laughs> right every year it comes up. Yeah Good Friday is not a public holiday. Now while uh, I suppose most schools and some businesses close on that day you have no automatic entitlement to time off work on that day so it very much depends on, on your employer. Okay if you're on sick leave and a public, a public holiday occurs? So if you're a full-time worker and you're, you're on sick leave during a public holiday, you're entitled to be bene- 
to benefit for that. Again, so you would get either, you know, a day off in lieu at another time. However, you must obviously have put in certified sick. You know, you should have to have a sick note for the day. If you work part-time and you're on sick leave during a public holiday, again, you're entitled to benefit for the public holiday once you've worked for your employer for at least 40 hours in the previous five weeks. That comes comes back again. Again, and that it, you're, you can, you know, it's certified sick leave. You have a, a doctor's note. The exception to this would be where you're off work due to illness or an occupational injury for more than 26 or 52 weeks, then you, you're not entitled to it. But what if you're out on maternity leave or indeed now, which has become uh, more common, patern- paternity leave? Parental yeah, leave. You're enti- parental leave, yeah. You're entitled to leave for any public holidays that occur while you're on maternity leave or parental leave or paternity leave, adoptive leave or, any, or parents leave, any of those kind of protective leave, you still have an entitlement to leave for the, you to be compensated for the public holiday. Now, again, we're at that, that we're at this time of year where people are thinking of the summertime and planning holidays. Talk to me about how much annual leave a full time employee is entitled to. OK, so most employees are entitled to the, the four weeks annual leave each year. Now, that's set out in the Organisation of Working Time Act and, and it's known as your statutory entitlement. So the, so the statutory entitlement, the minimum amount of leave that a full-time worker is entitled to is four weeks. Which is now, 20, you know, is that 20, tw- working, 20, day, 20, 20 working days? 20 working days, okay. yeah, so it's, yeah, 20 days. Yeah. Now, your employer might give you more annual leave. So sometimes people have, you know, 25 days or whatever. That, now, that is an additional thing that your employer is giving you and you would for, you can check your entitlement to annual leave and your contract of employment where where that would be laid out. But the statutory minimum is the, the four weeks, which is 20 working days. Now, you're in, how you're in your annual leave entitlement depends a bit on how much you've worked in what's called the leave year. And uh, there are three, way, three ways to calculate that. And you can use whichever method gives you the greater leave time up to that maximum of, of, of four weeks. Now, again, you should talk to your local citizens' information to help you work that out because it, it, everyone's slightly different. OK, and who who is entitled to um, holiday pay? Uh, everybody, uh, you're, everybody's entitled to, to be paid on annual leave. So annual leave is paid time off and holiday pay should be paid in advance. That's your normal weekly rate. So, again, it's surprising that comes up from time to time. People not, you know, being told that they're not, can't be paid for their on, on annual Yeah, leave. they can have but the they, leave, but we're not going to yeah, pay you. That's, yeah, they can't no, do that, it, yeah. You can't do that, no. Actually, annual leave is paid time off, and that's really important to, to everybody aware of that. Is it calculated differently if you're part-time? Yeah, so generally if you're a part-time worker, your annual leave is calculated as 8% of the hours you work. And again, I'd say to people, have a chat with your local CIC if you need help to calculate your entitlement on that one. But it's eight percent of the hours you work. And again, to be up to it, it'll be up to a maximum of the equivalent of four working weeks for the individual. And could you could it get really complicated if I work part time for some of the year and then work full time for other parts of the year? Yeah. So if you're in that situation where you're, as you said, working full time for some months and part time for the rest of the year, you should calculate the leave for the full time and the part time period separately. So again, I would say talk to us if someone needs any assistance with that. Can an employer force somebody to take annual leave? Now, that's a question we get asked quite a lot. So usually employees can ask to take their annual leave at specific times, but your employer has the right to accept your request or refuse it. All right. Mm. Now, your employer decides, so it's really important, it is up to the employer 
when you take your annual leave. But it is subject to a number of conditions. So when they're, when they're making a decision, your employer must take into account your family responsibilities as well as the available opportunities for rest and recreation. And they should discuss your annual leave with you or your union, if that applies, at least one month before you take the leave. But it is ultimately, it is up to the employer when it's taken. And another question that I often hear people talk about, and that's carrying over annual leave from one year into the next year. Yeah, so annual leave should be taken within the leave year. Now, depending on your employer, you can agree to take it to have that carried over or within six months of the of the relevant leave year. Any further carrying over would have to be with your employer's consent. You know, like so some employers will ask you to take it within the leave year, but anything over that is is at their discretion. Can an employer offer to pay an employee an allowance instead of allowing them to take time off for annual leave? Absolutely not. Oh. It's, it's illegal. It's actually illegal for employers to pay an allowance instead of the minimum statutory annual leave entitlement. The only exception to that is where the employment ends. So someone is fin- you know, changing jobs and they, the employee has unused annual leave that they have earned. So if an employee is leaving a job, the employer absolutely should pay him or her for any outstanding annual leave and public holidays. But that is the only situation where the where the employee is, is leaving the employment. Outside of that, it's absolutely illegal to pay them instead, to pay the employee instead of allowing them to take their annual leave. OK, I have heard of cases where somebody unfortunately gets sick while they're on their annual leave. What what happens there? Yeah, so again, that would be that that can happen. And so the situation is if so, if you're sick while you're on annual leave, Again, it would be important to get a medical cert from your GP to cover the days you were sick. And if you give that medical cert to your employer as soon as you return, then the, this way your sick days will not count as annual leave and you can take them again at a later date. But it's re- you would have to have a medical cert from your GP for the days that you're saying you were sick. Yeah, you can't just come back in and say I was off last no. week, but I was actually unwell. Yeah. Now, some parents, particularly those with younger children, may be, may be considering parental leave over the summer months. Can you clarify what is parental leave? So like, this is a, a you know a good support for for working parents. So it, it allows parental leave allows parents to take now it's unpaid leave. So it's important it's unpaid. They can take unpaid leave from work to spend time looking after their children. Now you can take up to twenty six weeks parental leave for each elig- eligible child before their twelfth birthday. So a child under twelve, um, or it can be up to their sixteenth birthday if the child has a disability or a long term illness. Now. Generally, you must have been working for your employer for a year before you're entitled to take parental leave. So you can't just start a job and look for it. Straight away, yeah. Generally, you have to be there for a year. And how would you know if you're eligible to take that leave? Yeah, like everything, I suppose there's certain criteria to be eligible for parental leave. The first thing, obviously, you must be a relevant parent. That means you're either obviously a parent or an adoptive parent or a person acting in local parentis, you know, so you're acting as a parent to the child. Then you must take the leave before your child's 12th birthday, or as I mentioned earlier, the 16th birthday, if your child has a disability or long-term illness. Uh, you must give at least six weeks' notice to your employer. Now, generally, you can take the leave in either one continuous period of the 26 weeks or in blocks of at least six weeks unless your employer agrees to let you take the leave differently and, and that would be a discussion. Yeah, and I, yeah, because I've heard people who've taken it as one day a week so they've ended up working a four-day a week and it's to help yeah. with, the, with the child child minding and um, uh, cover. Yeah, so, that, so that's what I'm saying. If you're, so you can take that in 
you can break the parental leave down into working days or hours if your employer so agrees. Has so to agree very to much yeah. at the discretion because, like you, you, as you said, you could ask to take one day of parental leave a week until the entire 26 weeks is used up. Mm. But it is, um, I suppose, that is totally at the discretion of the employer, and it might suit some employers to do it that way. And and and, and certainly, you know, you it would be worth having a discussion if if you wanted to do if it, it that way. If it suits you, but can an yeah. employer refuse an application for parental leave? The only situation that the employer can refuse the parental leave if you're not entitled to take it, if you didn't meet the criteria that I laid out there earlier. Now, there are situations where your employer could postpone the parental leave for up to six months. Now, there'd have to be good reasons for that. So I suppose the kind of reasons that they could ask you to postpone it would be if there was a, you know, if there was lack of cover while you're on, on leave, they can't, uh, or the fact that maybe other employees are already on parental leave. But... Normally, it can only be postponed once. Um, the only exception is it could be postponed twice if the if the reason is seasonal variations in the volume of work, you know, in, okay. in the area you're working in. But generally, the it, the employers can't. Okay. Now we've we, we've yeah. and we've spoken about spreading it spreading it out. What if somebody has twins or triplets? Do they get extra leave? Yeah, parents of they they can. The parents of twins or triplets can take more than twenty six weeks of parental leave in a year. So if someone is that situation, we could have a chat with us and we can look into what the additional leave is. And again, with a part-time worker? Yeah, so if you work part-time, your entitlement to the parental leave is reduced in a pro-rata basis. So that means if you work 50% of a normal working week, you can take 13 full working weeks worth of parental leave or 26 weeks of your part-time hours, if you follow. So, it's, you know, it's pro-rata. And it is parental leave, so can it be shared between partners? Yeah, well actually both parents have an equal and separate entitlement to parental leave. So that means you're both entitled to 26 weeks of leave. So uh, so each of you can take oh. 26 weeks. Now if you both work for the same employer and the employer agrees that's the important thing, you can transfer 14 weeks of your parental leave to the other parent. So that's, But that's only in a situation where you're both, both working yeah. with the same employer and the employer agrees to it. And if somebody changes jobs before taking all of their leave, what happens there? So as I said earlier, you ha- normally have to be with your employer for one year before you can take it. So if you change jobs and you've used part of your parental leave allowance with one employer, you can use the remainder of your allowance after one year's employment with your new employer once your child is still under 12. Okay. So, now, you, yeah. we've, we've given out a lot of information uh, there and if somebody would like further information on any of the topics we've discussed uh, today and what you suggest they do. Yeah, look, I mean, I know and I've flown through it and there's a lot <laughs> there. So, yeah, so if someone would like more information about any of the issues I've covered, it'd be best to contact your local Citizens Information Centre and we'll go through your current circumstances with you and make you aware how the various... Uh, you know, rules apply to your personal circumstances. So again, I suppose that's look. That's where we come in. Like we can discuss your situation with you and lay out your options. And hopefully, at the end of the day, you'll decide what best option is for you. But hopefully, with our help, you'll be able to make an informed decision. So that's our that's our aim. So I suppose the best thing would be to in, to to ring us. Either you can ring the Mallow office, which is on zero eight one eight zero seven eight zero zero zero, or ring us here in West Cork on. Uh, 0818078390. Okay, and of course you've got a brilliant website as well. If people Absolutely, want to, yeah. so much information uh, is on that, and it's it is regularly updated, isn't it? 
Absolutely. Uh, uh, it's regularly updated. And if you scroll down the end of the page, you can see the date that it was, you know, the, the, the date that the, it was updated. But as soon as any changes come in, the website is up to date. Yeah, yeah. So I suppose, look, I'd say, yeah, absolutely, go on, have a look at that. And then if there's, you know, sometimes people have, when they're looking at the website, they're trying to figure out how exactly it applies to them. So then either you know, call us on one on your local citizens information centre, or drop in to uh, you know, and we'll we'll go through your details. Yeah, with you. you can go through it, and it's all uh, confidential yeah. and all of that. Absolutely. Brilliant yeah. service as always, and thank you for that, and thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Patricia. Uh, good morning to you. Bye-bye. Anna O'Donovan, Development Manager with the South Munster Citizen Information Service and they're based out of the Bantry Citizens Information uh, Centre. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Some of your commentary coming in. Tom in Bantry was listening to me chat in the last hour with Senator Tim uh, Lombard who is calling on the Department of Transport to remove uh, shipwrecked uh, vessels in our waters and in particular he's citing two one that's been in Kinsale for some 13 years and the, the MV Alta, which has been in Ballycotton for the last uh, couple of years. Tom in Bantry said there is somebody called the receiver of wrecks. Uh, they are based in Dublin and they deal with abandoned vessels. They operate under revenue and I'm aware of a person, said Tom who knew of a boat left in an area. This person got in contact with the receiver of Rex and after a while it was removed. So maybe Senator Tim Lambert and the others need to be dealing with the department. So I did a quick check on the receiver of uh, Rex and actually there's a list of receivers. There's one in every area that has a coast. For example, there's one here in uh, Cork or in Clare, Donegal, Dublin, Galway, Kerry, Limerick, Louth, Mayo, Sligo, Waterford, Wexford and uh, Wicklow. So there is a receiver of wrecks in all of those areas. And exactly as Tom says in his phone call to the programme today, a receiver of wreck of REC is a revenue official which is appointed by the Minister for Transport, Tourism and Sport and their duty is to deal with any wreck found in or on the shores of sea or any tidal water or harbour and I am sure the Senator Tim Lombard is well aware of this receiver of wrecks. but what I've discovered when I did the quick Google search there during news the following are not classified as a wreck and one is a boat which has come off their moorings are not classified as a wreck as they've been abandoned without hope of recovery. So I'm assuming that that's what's wrong with these particular ships. They don't know who the owner is and who's actually abandoned it. And of course, the thought is, oh, they might come back one day uh, to get it. But for, for anything else, they say any shipwreck or related material found in Irish territorial water, waters um, must by law be reported to the receiver of wrecks. All wreck material, however small or apparently insignificant it may, may appear, must be reported to the receiver who will decide on what action is necessary. So I'm, I'm assuming and assure, assuming that the receiver of Rex well aware of what's happening here in uh, Cork, particularly the one in Kinsale and in Ballycotton. Thank you for your call though, Tom M. Bantry. A texter reacting to the piece I mentioned about the rise in the sharing of intimate images and the Gardaí are putting a warning out to parents to become more vigilant about what their children are doing on their phones and it is to do with young people sharing intimate photographs boyfriend to girlfriend, girlfriend to boyfriend and of course if something goes wrong and the relationship is all off and somebody decides to do a little bit of revenge porn and then the picture gets shared and it gets widely shared. Now, social media companies are good at removing them and they usually get them down within three days. But, you know, the point that is always made is the damage has already been done. And, you know, many young people don't realise the significance of sharing these intimate photographs with each other, the implications if they do get shared and it does go viral online. Somebody says, Patricia, what is wrong with these young people today? Why are they sending... 
intimate photographs of themselves. It's just crazy. They're old enough to know. That's when I mentioned uh, 16 year olds. They're old enough to know not to do that. Schools are always giving advice to students uh, about use of their phones, etc. But they don't seem to be listening. Some parents need a wake up call thanking you. And that's exactly what I was talking about when I mentioned this article that's on the front page of the Examiner today. And the the Detective Superintendent Ian Lackey, who is with the Garda National Protective Services Bureau, he's issuing this warning to parents to make sure they know what their sons and daughters are up to on their phones and to have that conversation about the sharing of intimate photographs. And because it can be just once it goes once it gets shared to somebody else, then it's completely outside of the control of the person uh, sending it and that parents need to be asking their children what they are doing with their phones. And he, and he cited the example that what sometimes happens is that uh, a person, a parents will get a knock on the door and it'll be the guardy telling them that their son or daughter has been sharing intimate uh, photographs and that can be the first time the parents can find out about it. So, yeah, it's all back to parental responsibility and parents having that chat for sure. 0818 in Westcock, this is on housing to say Patricia I blame numerous government advisors for multiple problems in society but when it comes to housing modular homes what about renovating houses that are already there a change in the planning laws there's some of the solutions to the housing problem for everyone it seems the will is not there and I'm wondering why it really is a pity says uh, Mossy in West Cork. well I know the cabinet today and I heard Barry talk about this on the news uh, the cabinet will be asked not today actually tomorrow whether to approve a range of measures um, to, oh no, sorry, that's on, um, sorry, that's at the wrong piece. They are, they are discussing today what to do about the eviction ban and coalition leaders are being told that they may consider new taxation benefits for small landlords if the ban on evictions is extended beyond the end of March. Now, it's Leo Varadkar, Mio Martin and Eamon Ryan. They are meeting. It's tonight, actually. And they're going to consider whether they will extend the eviction ban. Now, obviously, they're taking their advice from the Attorney General, General Rossa Fanning. Rossa Fanning seemingly has advised the government that if there is an extension to the eviction ban, it has to be justifiably for the market and the rights of landlords has got to be considered. The government has separately been advised by official officials that if the ban does go beyond the end of March, then they're going to have to do something. And what's been suggested is taxation measures should be considered, particularly for small landlords. There has been discussions about making, you know, the rent-a-room tax relief applicable to all small uh, land. Lords, uh, It currently only applies if the landlord is living on the property and renting out a room, our rooms, and then they're exempt from tax. I think it's up to €14,000 a year. So they're saying that that could also be extended to cover small landlords. Other, another taxation measure that has been mooted is exempting small landlords from paying the local property tax. However, it's understood that the position of officials in the housing department is to allow the eviction ban to expire as planned on the 31st of March because they're saying that if they were to consider all of their taxation measures, it would cost the state big 
money. So they're not going to go down the taxation route. Increased funding, wraparound services, targeted measures, all are being spoken about to tackle homelessness and they're all under consideration in advance of this meeting that's going to happen tonight. A senior source, government source stressed, no decision has been taken on the matter and that the Housing Minister, Dara O'Brien, he'll also attend part of the meeting of the three coalition leaders tonight. And if a decision is made to extend the ban, it's understood it would have to be time bound, even though landlords will come back and say that all of the previous eviction bans all were time bound. And then as soon as they came close to it, there was a decision taken to extend it. A number of options are under consideration when the leaders meet uh, tonight. And according to some of the newspapers today, everything is still in the mix, including an extension on the moratorium of evictions. But with the exception of landlords who want to move back into their property. And there has been cases identified of people, maybe they were overseas, worked overseas, put their house up for rent, uh, have come back to live and are now themselves homeless and have to end up living, you know, couch surfing or back living in their their childhood bedroom of their parents' house and they actually have a property but because there's an eviction ban in place they can't get the people living in their houses to leave and there has been cases identified like that so if the owner wants to move back they're saying maybe if they extend the eviction ban it won't cover people who want to move back into their property. Another option that has been discussed is to legislate for a seasonal ban which would cover the winter months. Now this is something that has been in France. I don't know for how long but it works quite well in France. What happens in France is you can't be evicted from a private rented property between the months of November right through to April so it's done for the, nobody can be evicted during the uh, winter months but seemingly some of the papers are saying that a government source uh, said that that particular option is unlikely to happen. Sinn Féin are saying that the ban was introduced as an emergency me- measure but the problem is the emergency is not over and then for that reason Sinn Féin are very much advocating that the eviction ban should remain in place. So another meeting tonight about this. Now the meeting will happen tonight. Will we hear tomorrow? I don't know but I do know that Leah Varadkar has said time and time again that whatever decision is made because people are literally waiting to hear you've got the landlords waiting to see can they get back into property but then you've got people who are privately renting who have an eviction notice but obviously they've been allowed to stay in the property because the ban is in place so they are really living on borrowed time and they want to know how quickly will they be asked to leave the property they're in. So the Taoiseach has says he's due to go to Washington for St. Patrick's Day so he'll be leaving in advance of that sometime next week. So he has said that the decision will be announced before he travels to Washington. So I don't know whether we're going to have to wait until next week or whether a decision will be finally made tonight and if it is made tonight then at least let them come out tomorrow and tell people so people will know where they are and if they are frantically having to look for more accommodation and for the landlords who want to move back into their property will they be allowed to move back in 0818 103 103 John Paul taking your calls I mentioned hospital charges because somebody was on earlier pointing out that the hospital charges are to be abolished from uh, April that has prompted a text in from Lorraine in Ballydehop says Trish you're talking about hospital charges well my husband has been attending an eye clinic in Cork University hospital he needs to get injections in his eye it's to do with diabetes and that just sounds so painful I hope your husband is getting on okay with it I hope he's getting on okay with that treatment anyway back to Lorraine's text he says 
he goes into the hospital and Larry says, honest to God, he's not sitting in that chair for more than an hour. He's never on a ward. He's just on a chair. And a week later, the bill would arrive to say that he has to pay the 80 uh, euro. Yeah, and you ha- he'll have to pay what he has been paying is up to 10 days, so up to 800 euro and then he doesn't have to pay it after that. Well, from April, Lorraine, your husband will be delighted to hear that the hospital charges are to be abolished. It got announced in the budget last October but it's coming in from April I don't have a date so I don't know if it's the beginning the middle of the end of April but we'll try and find out but that certainly will be a a bit of good news for your husband if he has to go back again in April he won't have to pay that at 80 euro 0818 103 103 can you keep your questions coming in for Annalise Uh, please I can see some already coming in if you have any more questions for Annalise you can keep those coming Uh, Liz was on to say Patricia listening to me chat with Eileen out on Bear Island saying for older people who need to engage you need to be able to do stuff for yourself as well Liz uh, says agree wholeheartedly with everything that Eileen had to to say particularly with regard to older people Liz says I'm Vice Chair of the Older People Council that we also mentioned and we are very busy looking after the age-friendly towns uh, and making sure that they have seating etc. Age-friendly car parking, pedestrian crossings and setting up social clubs and cultural companions etc. So that's good to hear because Michael and West Cork thought they were gone but they are still very very active so good to hear from you uh, Liz and uh, continue good luck with the work that you do at the Older People's uh, Council. Someone else says, oh, this is on the person who contacted us to say they went to Mass at the weekend and there was a collection on the way in. There was two collections inside and there was a collection on the way out and is wondering, is that putting off some, is that putting some people off actually going to uh, Mass? Someone said, that's a very poor excuse for not going to Mass. If you want to go to Mass, go to Mass. You just walk past the person who is making the collection. Nobody will come after you for looking for money. Please don't leave church cake collections as a reason that you won't go to Mass. 0818 103 103 John Paul's taking your calls you can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie Bingo is continuing in Butterfinch GAA Hall tonight the jackpot is €2,900 and there's an in-house lotto mini jackpot and a 50-50 all to play for all are welcome The Mallow Fields Club are presenting the Bally Cotton Job it's by Tom Mahan. It's tomorrow night, Tuesday, in the Social Services Centre on New Road in Mallow. The club AGM will take place at 8pm, followed by the lecture at half past eight. All are very welcome. The Barry Moore Players Drama Group in Castellines, they're holding their annual general meeting. That's on this Thursday night in Castellines Hall, 8 o'clock start. New members particularly welcome. And Hurleyhees Centra in Mallow have kindly sponsored a coffee morning for Mallow Daffodil Day Committee and it is on this coming Friday from 10am to 12.30. Everyone is welcome to come along for a chat, a coffee and musical entertainment all in aid of the Irish Cancer Society. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, Life and Health Insurance CMIG.ie Hi, Cleona Hagen here and let me tell you about my 
new show, The Dolly Songbook. You can catch me and my band performing all my favourite Dolly songs for one night only at the Cork Opera House on Thursday the 16th of March. Tickets are now on sale from €30 at the box office or from www.corkoperahouse.ie. Giveblood.ie know we can count on you, our community of blood donors, to give blood and to choose to be there for others in their hour of need. Blood donors from Skibbereen should attend the clinic in the West Cork Hotel in Skibbereen from Monday 6th to Wednesday 8th of March. And donors from Bantry should attend the clinic in the Maritime Hotel in Bantry on Thursday 9th. Making an appointment is recommended, so call 1-800-731-137 to book your time. New donors are welcome. Visit giveblood.ie to check eligibility and clinic details, because we count on you. The spring event is now on at O'Flynn and Tobin Newmarket. All wallpaper must clear at cost price with hundreds of carpet ends at giveaway prices. Get free measuring and fitting on all carpets and vinyls and all rugs have 20% off. Get fantastic offers throughout the store at the O'Flynn and Tobin Spring Event now on. Kinsale Hotel and Spa is the perfect place for a breakaway. Relax with a soothing treatment at the Elemis Spa, stroll through 90 acres of wooded parkland around the hotel and absorb the breathtaking views of the bay. Enjoy excellent locally sourced cuisine at the Rockpool Bar and Restaurant. Book your spa break now at kinsalehotelandspa.ie. C103 with Harry Curry. Cozy up with the new arrivals in store and online at harrycurry.com. Harry Curry, see what's in store. This is Court Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork Today at c103.ie. I just spotted a text in asking us to say congratulations to Kilbrain, who had a play on for five nights. It was a brilliant laugh from start to uh, finish. Well done. It's great to see all the amateur dramatic societies all back up and running uh, again because uh, so many of them, of course, had to stop because of COVID. And I know there is another WhatsApp in, but the WhatsApps have been very busy uh, today from somebody who wanted to send on commiserations to a group of Manchester United supporters. This is from Fimber. Uh, Fimber says, could you say, could you send a guest well m- message to Mashi Sheehan, Davy Church and Davy Dobb O'Brien uh, the Manchester United supporters and hope they're recovering from their 7 nil. Uh, humbling loss yesterday in Anfield and that's from Finbar who I'm assuming is a Liverpool uh, supporter. Can we send commiserations to all Manchester United supporters who I take it are having a tough day today and probably getting a lot of uh, slagging at work. A lot of questions coming in for Annalise. Keep those coming please. Bart was on to say, Patricia, did you see yet another umpire at a GAA uh, match was injured yesterday. When is this all going to end? And this is actually a story out of Dublin. And again, it's an under, it was an under 18 hurling match. So we're talking about young people involved. And I'm reading in the papers that mobile phone footage could actually now prove uh, crucial. There's a guard investigation into an alleged, what's been described as a serious assault on a GAA official at this underage match in Dublin. Now this time it wasn't the ref, it was an umpire was hurt during a minor hurling league game and it happened in Dublin yesterday morning. The man was allegedly set upon by at least two people as the match was being played in Sean Moore Park and Sean Moore Park is in Sandymount in Dublin. One eyewitness said the umpire could be seen with blood flowing from a head injury after the game obviously had to be immediately called off. The witness said it was the worst incident they've ever seen at an underage hurling match. It's understood that the aftermath of the incident was filmed 
and that other moments in the lead up the Gardaí now believe may also have been caught on camera. The incident took place it was half 11 yesterday morning two players have been sent off and after this happened the game turned nasty. The referee had to abandon the match after the referee was assaulted by a number of people. The source said that one man who was believed to have been involved in the alleged assault fled the scene in his car. The umpire at this stage was on the ground. All the mammies ran over to try to help him. Blood was pumping out of his head. The large uh, crowd had run towards one end of the pitch in a bid to prevent the alleged assault worsening and seemingly a lot of them were the mammies, the GAA mammies who were there watching their boys on the pitch. Gardaí obviously were called. The injured umpire was then given medical treatment. A doctor arrived. He was described as being badly shaken with a facial wound and an injured uh, arm. A number of videos captured what happened. They were immediately handed over to uh, the Gardaí and obviously the Gardaí are looking for anybody that's got any phone footage of the lead up to it. But it's just it has really gotten out of hand whatever about it's bad enough when you've got people shouting at the referee or shouting at the at the umpire but these people go and they don't get paid a lot of money you know the referee do they get a kind of expenses I don't know about the umpires do they get paid it certainly isn't a lot of money they do it for the love of the game and if this keeps up we're going to get to the situation where we're not going to have referees we're not going to have umpires who would put themselves into that position on a Sunday morning when they could be home with their own families or doing their own thing instead of going out talking off doing the best that they could and making decisions to the best of their ability only to be attacked to the stage where blood flowing out of this umpire's uh, head and of course this isn't the only case and that's what Bat is saying it's the latest one to add to what appears to have been a long list in recent months there was uh, a series of of alleged assaults and these are just at GAA matches. Last October we had the Munster Council they were set uh, they had to set and they had to do an investigation after an alleged assault that was on a nine year old player at a Thurless match. Prior to that two club members in Wexford and another in Roscommon they received lengthy suspensions after separate incidents and then of course in October the GAA launched the Respect the Referee weekend and that was for senior county finals and that ran over over one weekend. Now the former GAA president Sean Kelly of course himself an MEP he has spoken to us about this before on this programme and he has said very clearly that clubs need to get a grip on the problem of aggression by introducing he says tougher penalties. Uh, Sean Kelly said that the support had to take a zero tolerance approach and it just it mustn't become the norm. And that's what's happening. It seems to almost becoming the norm because we seem to have case after case after case. And I think, you know, Sean Kelly is right. We, we, we need tougher penalties. And it isn't just GAA. We know what happens at soccer matches and we've discussed it happening. We've spoken with referees who have given up refereeing in soccer matches because of the abuse, both verbal and physical, that they have received. And of course, whenever we discuss it, we inevitably will say, well, why can't we all, why can't they all take a leaf out of the rugby organisation? You will never see and never hear of something like that happening at a rugby match. Why can't it be the same for soccer? And why can't it be the same for all of our beautiful, wonderful Gaelic games as well? 0818103103. John Paul's taking your calls. We are looking for your questions for Annalise, uh, please, our nutritional therapist. If there is a question for Annalise, you can get those into us now. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 
103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Just to point out that we mentioned that the Cabinet are going to be discussing the eviction ban and will the eviction ban be extended? They're doing that tonight. Tomorrow they are going to be tasked with approving a range of measures to accelerate climate action. And they're going. one of the things they're going to focus on is reducing private car use. They're also talking about speeding up the development of offshore wind, fire, wind farms and creating biogas uh, industry. But I suppose the one that a lot of people are going to look at is the reduction in private car ownership and car use. Now, by doing all of these measures, they're saying these are them, it's, it's tried to reduce our greenhouse emissions. Um, the need for fast acting measures is now becoming increasingly urgent. Why? Uh, because we're getting nowhere near reducing our emissions. We have a legal requirement to have national emissions by 2030, but the interim reports, which are due out just in two years' time, are looking that they're going to be breached. So the Environment Minister, Eamon Ryan, will be asking the Cabinet to sign off on this range of uh, measures, including a renewed focus on transport admissions. He'll ask the Cabinet to approve the development of a demand management strategy, which is aimed at reducing the need and appetite for private car journeys. And I know any time we mention that, we, everyone says, yeah, that's fine if you're living in Dublin and you have the alternatives. But if you're living in rural Ireland and you need to use your private car, then you need to use your private car. Long discussed deterrence will be things like congestion charges. They'll be back on the table, introducing increased parking charges. They'll also look at greater pedestrianisation in towns and cities. Uh, all of that will be on the uh, table and firm decisions that won't be taken until the end of the year. So we'll keep an eye on it. But there's a lot of talk again about this need to try to get people out of their cars and back walking or uh, cycling. Also the, the need for offshore wind developments, that's going to be uh, stressed as well. So that's up for discussion tomorrow. So no doubt we'll be hearing a lot more about that as the week goes on. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Annalise Dressel, our nutritional therapist of Times Square Balancolic, uh, joins me. Good afternoon, Annalise. Hello, Patricia. Uh, pushing up the wrong fader. Uh, you're very welcome. OK, lots of questions. Let me get straight into questions. Uh, still, again, a week doesn't go by that we don't have somebody who's still suffering some kind of effects of COVID. This is a listener to say, hi, I had COVID, which developed into pneumonia. So I was really, really unwell because of COVID. Could Annalise now recommend, please, a probiotic or maybe a pick-me-up to get me back on my feet again? I'm currently taking an aspirin, a statin and a blood pressure tablet but nothing else but just still feels down following COVID which led to pneumonia so somebody who was very unwell from COVID. Yeah and you know long COVID is is, is really really um, common Patricia a lot of people and the strange thing about COVID as well is that for a lot of people who have long COVID they weren't actually particularly sick with the virus either so um, it's a very 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 strange virus and a kind of a frightening one really. So um, it, different things have worked for our customers with long COVID um, but fatigue is a very common side effect. Also a lot of people have respiratory issues, their breathing isn't right some people have developed sinusitis a lot of people have um, actually strange rashes sleeping issues brain fog, um, not being able to think or remembering things. They would all be very very common causes. So there's different um, approaches will work for different people. And in this case here, I think because of the pneumonia 
um, there would have been a lot of antibiotics used as well. So a probiotic is always is always a good one. And I think when you're choosing a probiotic after an antibiotic, go for one that has a lot of different strains in there. So BioCult is um, is a nice sort of cheap and cheerful one. Actually, it's when I say cheap and cheerful, it's not that it's very cheap, but it's just it's very good value for what you're getting. There's 14 different strains in there. Nature's Plus do one called Immune Microbiome, and that's got 18 different strains in there. And also um, Udo's is always a big favorite with our customers as well, the Udo's Super 8. So that will help with your immune system in a roundabout way and help with your energy in a roundabout way, but it will take a month or two for that to kick in. So in the interim period, I would recommend something like a tonic like Source of Life Gold, that's very good just as a general pick-me-up, the stuff in there for the immune system and for energy. For people who are really, really struggling with energy, taking one of the B vitamins called niacin every two hours throughout the day can help. So you can try that. Now, there's different types of niacin you can get, Patricia. Some of them cause a flush and they make your face look like you've had the worst case of sunburn ever and you get a tingling pins and needles all over your whole body. So it's probably better to go for the no-flush niacin and take that every two hours throughout the day. And then if your chest is struggling, we've been recommending either the Dr. Claire, um, she does the mucotone, which is very good, but she's actually also got a COVID tone blend that is better for people who've had COVID and may not necessarily have an infection. So that's Dr. Claire's Covitone. And then finally, olive leaf extract is always one of our favorites after any type of virus or surgery or anything at all that has affected your immune system. I always feel great when I take it myself. I get a great feeling of vitality and it's best to take that in liquid form if you can. Okay, then there's a number of people have kind of lingering coughs and let me let me bunch these together. Somebody said I had a very bad flu. It's about three weeks ago, but I still have the cough. I'm still suffering from a sore throat. I have taken antibiotics. I have been on a steroid, but I'm left with this cough and this sore throat. And somebody else that thankfully never had COVID, but I have this really bad cough and I always seem to be coughing at night time. So kind of lingering coughs. Well, actually, nighttime is a very common one um, to, co- to feel worse at night. Asthma, all of these inflammatory conditions actually get worse at nighttime. So most people who have a cough and a cold will notice that they cough way more at night. But also, I should say, Patricia, another red flag for me is people who don't have a cough during the day and start to cough at night, because that to me is more acid reflux, because when people lie down, the acid starts to leak up from the stomach and catches the breath, causing a very kind of a dry cough. So that's a question I always ask people if they cough a lot at night is, um, you know, do you have problems with your stomach? So rule that one out. But the lingering cough, I had it years ago, Patricia, and they called it the 100-day cough at the time. There was a particularly nasty cough and cold virus that just wouldn't leave. So I would definitely recommend something uh, like a, a natural cough bottle that has either marshmallow or mullion in there because both of those are very soothing and nourishing for the dry and irritated respiratory tissue that when you breathe, if it's irritated, gets caught, and then you end up being irritated and coughing. So, like, there's a couple of different ones. The Irish Botanica is a very good one. Um, There used to be a great range of the Comvita ones. Unfortunately, they haven't been available for a while. We have a Mullion syrup here, which is actually I've managed to finally track down through, um, through a Polish supplier, that's really, really good for dry, irritating coughs. Um, and then the Dr. Claire, she does a throat spray that has got marshmallow in it. 
So, and there's also sage and echinacea for the sore throat. So I think taking something like that to stop your cough when you start coughing is very good. And then take an immune booster besides that just to give your own body the best fighting chance. So the immune boosters we love here would either be, there's a Dr. Claire, she does an Imitone that is fantastic. Um, also, actually, that Mucotone is another very good one that Dr. Claire does. If you can't get your hands on that, um, you could try just plain Echinacea, maybe an Ivy and Thyme from your local health store. And then make sure you're taking vitamin D, C and zinc. And I also love the beta-glucans, which are brilliant for giving you a good immune boost. And um, Nature's Plus do a lovely uh, immune boost complex. Uh, that's very good. And then again, of course, the olive leaf extract. So pick and choose from those depending on your symptoms, whether it's dry, mucusy, um, but definitely support the immune system along with the cough bottle as well. Here's another strange one as a direct result of uh, COVID. Could you ask Annalise, please, what would you recommend for hay fever? I've developed hay fever since I got COVID, not on any other medication, never had hay fever before, but this listener reckons it's directly linked to getting COVID. Absolutely. And in actual fact, this was one of, I've been doing a huge amount of um, um, research, Patricia, and trying to do training and learning around long COVID because I'm seeing so much of it. Um, and trying to help people, and we really don't understand it. But one of the earliest um, natural reproaches was that it was likened to what we call mast cell activation syndrome, MCAS. Mast cell activation syndrome is where your mast cells, which hold histamine in your body, are consistently being um, degranulated. So they're basically being exploded and releasing all this histamine. And long COVID and, uh, is one of the symptoms of that is very, very similar to what is formerly known as mast cell activation syndrome. So we work on the same um, basis that it's it's similar to that. So in this case, I would recommend taking quercetin is probably the most important one. Um, It comes in a complex. You can get it either with beef or stinging nettle. Um, There's various different ones. Um, Maconta, the Irish company, actually do lovely quercetin complex. So you need to take that at least three times a day. I'd also recommend taking a vitamin C high dose. Um, the Somega, they do a lovely liposomal vitamin C, which is really, really easy to take, and it's very, very good quality one. So the vitamin C will definitely get into your cells. The other thing that's absolutely crucial is something called N-acetylcysteine, or NAC. Um, you should be able to get that in any health shop as well. So add that one as well. And um, if you are then noticing that you're very, very bad um, when you eat different foods, which for some people that can happen, the mast cell activation, you can buy an enzyme online called DAO. We don't stock it here in Ireland, so you have to buy it online. And it basically helps to break down histamine after you eat. So you'd normally take it if you go out. It's expensive, but it works brilliantly. And that's called DAO. Okay. All right. Here's um, Anya. Hi. Could Annalise please recommend the best supplements for a boy doing leaving cert? having problems with study and retaining information and he needs to be able to have clarity. He is on a good fish oil at the moment. Is there anything else you would recommend? Definitely, um, Patricia, because um, it's, it's, it's trying to re- not only just be able to sit down and study and focus and concentrate, retention is very important as well. So the fish oil has the retention bit covered. They take time to kick in. So people who are doing exams in sort of May, June, need to start taking a fish oil right now. 
Um, and I would take one with a high DHA content in there because that's the bit. Normally, a fish oil comes with EPA and DHA. DHA um, is, is the one that you want for the brain. So there's a couple of different things that could help in this case. There is a very good um, supplement called Mastermind, which is made by the Irish company Revive Active, who do the Revive Active and amongst other things. And that can really help with um, focus and concentration in the long term. So that could be another one to add. And then one of my favorites is L-theanine. So L-theanine works in the moment. It doesn't have any long-term benefit, unlike maybe the mastermind and the fish oil. But in the moment, it promotes our ability to be focused, to be motivated, and to be calm. So much so that people actually take it at night to stop the busy body, busy brain. And actually, I recommend it a lot to our uh, customers, Patricia, with kids that have ADHD because it does help them focus and concentrate more in school. And you can take L-theanine two or three times a day, no problem. And there's a couple of different brands. Again, that Irish company, McCaunta, they do a lovely um, L-theanine brand. And also Viridian have a very, very strong one, which has got lemon balm in there as well. So any of those would work. OK, you mentioned olive leaf extract a couple of minutes ago. Somebody said, I've been taking olive leaf extract and I didn't realise it's meant to be kept in the fridge once opened. It's been open now since before Christmas. Is it still OK to take? Well, it, yeah. I'd say you might have lost a little bit of the efficacy of it, but it'll be absolutely fine and it'll still work. OK, and very quickly, could Annalise help, please? I've got pain and burning when I go to the toilet when I'm urinating and then it can last for about five minutes afterwards. Uh, I haven't got an infection. It's been going on for a year or more. OK, so I don't know if this is a, ma- a man or a woman, Patricia. Um, uh, a woman, I, I think, by the picture. Yeah. I'm thinking so could be. I, I presume at this point they've been to the doctor and they've ruled out um, kidney infection. They've ruled out a kidney infection or a bladder infection. So there is also something that affects the bladder and the urinary tract called cystitis, and that is not um, an infection. Now there's two kinds of cystitis. Some people will develop cystitis um, maybe around the time of their period, or if they eat certain foods, or if they maybe after intercourse, or if they do very aggressive sports because it causes bruising to the urethra and the tissue. So if it's that, um, I would definitely recommend something like Cystone um, by Dr. Dealish Clare and D. Manos. So the Cystone is a blend of different herbs um, that Dr. Clare has put together, and they're very good to nourish and keep that tissue very healthy so it's less likely to become damaged and cause those kind of problems. D. Manos, then, is another lovely one. Uh, to take at the same time because it just makes sure that there are no bacteria that could be, you know, even there at a low level that mightn't be at infectious level, but that could be causing those tissues to become damaged. And then I think, again, if there's any type of menopause, the tissue can be very, very dry and therefore, again, can become damaged easily. Um, So always the omega-7 are absolutely lovely for that. Vitamin A and vitamin E you can get from nuts, seeds, avocados. Have a tablespoon of good quality olive oil every single day. That'll put the fats in from the inside. And then the omega-7, which normally comes from buckthorn. So that would be that one. There is one other one as well, Patricia, which is called interstitial cystitis. And that one is a very, very difficult one to get a handle on because it's basically where bacteria are in between the tissues at low levels and cause a constant 
um, type of inflammation that will create that kind of burning sensation. But if you've got that, you're going to need to go to a nutritional therapist or a practitioner or a doctor that specialises in that area because it takes a bit of work to get that one okay. right. All right, a mine of information as always, Annelise. Thank you for that. Have Thanks, a lovely Patricia. have a lovely week. We'll chat again next week. That is Annelise Giselle, Health Hub Times Square in Balancolic. She has a great website, healthhubstore.com and she'll put up all the information that we spoke about as heard on the radio and she'll put that up this afternoon and John Paul will also uh, put up Annelise Annalise's slot today as a separate podcast that goes up wherever you get your podcasts from uh, later on this afternoon. Our apologies. As always with Annalise, we never get to all of the questions, but we got to a lot of them uh, today. But thank you to everybody who took time out to contact us. OK, that's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. We'll be back with you tomorrow morning for Tuesday's edition of the programme at 10 o'clock on to the Nine Patricia Messenger. Very good afternoon. Or today on C103. With Corrigan and Insurance is McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.